around the world, believe it or not. Um, they have different things on their menus, and their breads are slightly different than that. I'm just hoping that Subway in Finland does not have fish sandwiches, you know, because the, they like like the pickled herrings and stuff like that. I'm sure they will. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure they will. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to eat at Subway then. Uh, can't break the tradition. Can't break yes, the tradition. Yes, I can. <laughs> no, you can't. I'll have a piece of bread then. Okay. Um, <laughs> He's going there for work. That's how we can afford to go. It's just costing me a plane ticket, which is actually kind of funny because a plane ticket there costs as much as a plane ticket to East Coast. But that's a different story altogether. Yeah. All right. You didn't know that. Traveling to Europe can sometimes be cheaper than traveling to the other side of the United States. Mm -hmm. It's because there's not much demand to go to Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> can we get started? <laughs> All right. What have we been talking uh, I'm going to get the door. You can get started. Thanks. All right, so we've been going over 1 Corinthians 13, talking about love. And um, I love the definition, the Ahava love. God exhaled, we inhaled, love came. God is the existence of love. He breathed love into us, and it is that joint union that creates the fullness of love. And we've talked about that there's two types of love. And one is going to be particularly rel relevant today. One is based on how things make us feel. So this is how we can say, I love my car, I love my CRV, I love pizza, I love baseball, I love football. Yeah, we won't go much further than that. I love hockey. It's not based on choice, and it centers on ourselves. It's very self-centered, how things make me feel because I don't love hockey, I don't love baseball, I don't love football. I know. But I love my husband, so I tolerate baseball and football. <laughs> After 34 years, I'm tolerable. Yeah. No, you're not tolerable. <laughs> okay, the other is based on appreciating the value of others. All right, and that is really the, um, the God-centered approach when we're talking about love. And that's the 1 Corinthians 13 that's approach. That's the 1 Corinthians 13 approach. Okay, it's a choice, and it's other-centered. Right. right. I hate everything that Adolf Hitler represents and everything that he has done. And at the same time, through Christ, I can love him as God's creation. Does that make sense? Okay, do I have a passionate love for the man? No, but he was still God's creation. And I need to be, in some ways, understanding of the fact that had Adolf Hitler not been here, would Israel be a state today? And that was part of the prophecies, okay? I'm not wishing that that would happen in any way. And at the same time, because of Adolf and what the horrible atrocities he did, Israel is a state again, and that was one of the prophecies from a long time ago. And there is a scripture that says, if you love your brother who loves you, what, what credit is that do you? Do you love your enemies? And really, that's where the focus is. Do we love the people who despise us, who, 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 who really anger us, who just don't agree with us? Which sometimes could be the person that is living in the house with us. Exactly. Anyway, um, all right, so we talked about uh, patience and kindness. And Who's been more patient and kind lately? 
Seriously? Still nothing. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Try. Liar. Try. You know what? I mean, if we're aware of it, we're held accountable to it. And if we're held accountable to it, it's not an all or nothing. You know, it is a progression. You know, are we working on developing or even being more aware of, yeah. of our impatience, um, you know, can be part of the first step. Or our lack of confidence or, or, or something else like okay. that. Okay. So we've also talked about the do nots. Don't, do not envy, do not boast, and do not be proud. We talked a lot about pride and humility last week. It was a very quiet class. <laughs> it actually is a very heavy class, and we apologize for that. Yeah. Um, but this week, um, I think it's going to be a little bit more fun. Yeah, I think so. We're going to talk about not being rude and not being self-seeking. Other translations, it does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It does not insist on its own way. Love is not ill-mannered or selfish. And all those are in 1 Corinthians 13.5. Now, we've talked about inspirational quotes, right? Well, when you click on rudeness on Google, you find some of the most, and it's really sad that rudeness has been elevated to a state of comedy and funny. But Groucho Marx said, I never forget a face, but in your case, I'll make an exception. John Stewart, I don't approve of political jokes. I've seen too many of them get elected. Mark Twain, I didn't attend a funeral, but I sent a nice letter saying that I approved of it. Winston Churchill, after being told, Mr. Churchill, if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your tea. He replied, Madam, if you were my husband, you know, if, I, if I were your husband, I'd drink it. <laughs> Winston Churchill was famous for being abrupt and rude. I don't know if you've seen the... Uh, the Netflix series The Crown with uh, and they have a Winston Churchill portrayed in that it's very accurate actually he was a crotchety old mean guy he really was The Crown is actually a really good Netflix yeah. it talks about um, Queen Elizabeth from the first time um, that she became got, queen be became queen and kind of goes through her life so it's an interesting so Paul, Paul says that love should not be rude, but oftentimes people are. I know I've been rude. Poor Don Marie. There, there are times that, and I would do this on purpose. She'd say something, I'd just give her a look. And she never knew what to make of the look. Because it's, it's like the dad look or something. It's like, did I do something wrong? What did I do? What did I do? And that's kind of rude, actually. It is, it is rude. So Don Marie... I apologize to you for giving me that. <laughs> okay, so when we think of rude or self-seeking, because we're looking at the two things, what are, what are we thinking of? What do you guys consider rude? Short. I can't do anything yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that one coming. Being short, meaning? Being quick. Being quick in attitude? Yeah. Okay. Disrespectful. Okay, what does that look like? What? 
Dismissing of somebody when they say something? Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> like that? <laughs> okay. What else? Insensitive to what? Uncompassionate. <laughs> Demanding. Demanding. Okay. Generally not caring about the other person. Generally not caring about the other person. Okay. Okay. What about self-seeking? I'm going to the game tournament today. I don't care how many years we've been married. <laughs> That's self-seeking. It's also not true, but it's self-seeking. Only one Dr. Pepper left in the fridge. I got it first. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sometimes it's it's the little, you know, it's um, it's a lot more convenient for me to leave the toilet seat up. <clears throat> I no. always leave it down. He does always leave it down. He's actually excellent with that, all right? But yeah. that is, you know, self-seeking. I'm not going to change the toilet paper rollout. No. No. I think in general, like I've been, I've been paying a lot of attention to like other people's comments and stuff, like on Facebook and mm -hmm. with all the political stuff going on and all of you know Charlottesville and and all this other stuff that. I think the one thing that's really rang in my brain for a number of weeks now is how self-seeking the world is today. Yeah. That we're just not, we're not, we're so, we're so focused on what makes us feel good and what makes us, you know, what we want right now that we're not willing to look at, well, how is this affecting the rest of the world? Um, and I think that's a lot of where we come upon all the violence and all of the, you know, because I mean, I'm looking at comments that people put on political posts and stuff that like are, are so horrible and things that you would never say in person to someone else. Um, but we're just ripping each other apart. Yeah. There's a lot of anonymity behind yeah. texting or um, things like Facebook and stuff like that, that you don't get in face to face. Yeah, the anonymity of the social media or the, the lack of personal contact with social media has taken rudeness and self-seeking to a whole new level. It's phenomenal, like you said, the things people will say on social media that they wouldn't dare say to a person's face. Okay, there's an interesting quote from C.S. Lewis, and Ron and I actually had a fairly lengthy discussion mm -hmm. regarding rudeness. Um, and then we found this, this quote by C.S. Lewis. It says, a girl in the Pacific Islands wearing hardly any clothes and a Victorian lady completely covered in clothes might both be equally modest, proper, or decent according to the standards of their own societies. But that in each culture, the idea of immodest, improper, and indecent dressed existed and that violating the culture standard was rude. What do you guys think of that? Polynesian country, you know, going around topless and, you know, just wearing a, a, a loincloth is cultural standard. All right? Victorian error, you know, if your arms, neck, legs aren't covered, 
then you're indecent. What do you guys think of that? That I shouldn't go there. Huh? <laughs> that I shouldn't go there. <laughs> that you shouldn't go to Polynesia. Or Victoria. There's a thought, though. Because if we visit another country, how demanding are we that they adapt to us rather than we adapt to them? Because if I'm going to, if I'm going to another country and I'm going to live there and take up residence there, if I'm going to buy a home there, I'm going to, I, I should do my best to know the language and be respectful of the culture that I'm moving into. Well, the funny thing is, is unfortunately a lot of Americans are very like, oh no, well they have to, you know, deal with me, but then when it comes to other people coming, well, they're in America now, they have to adapt to us. Yeah. So it's a very hypocritical. In America, you go up to a kid and you go like that, is that a big deal? <laughs> okay. In Asia, in different parts of Asia, if I did that to a young person, male or female, that would be like in America, me reaching out and grabbing their chest. Oh, wow. The head is highly honored. The feet is very, very low. Okay? If I, I went, it's over there, and pointed with my foot. Okay? America, big deal? Not really. Okay? There? One of the rudest things I could do. Yeah, if if I sat with my with my feet crossed like this, showing the sole of my foot, it's considered rude. Now we're talking about foreign cultures, right? And we've mentioned this in the class before. How many people are living with the same people that they completely grew up with from birth. Okay. I grew up with myself from birth, so. <laughs> you are such a nerd. <laughs> She's our daughter. We're allowed to say that. No, we're not. <laughs> we apologize. Um, you have to understand then that the people that you're living with, the people that you're working with, even if they're American and are Californian, New York, and Idahoan, whatever you know, state or area that you grew up in, they came from different houses, all right? Because they came from different houses, they came from different cultures, all right? Now, if you're adding in actually different ethnicities, different, um, you know, one person was born here, another person was born there, um, one person is this race, the other person is that race, it adds even more differences, different cultures. How many people when you were growing up were allowed to eat in your living room? Okay, probably about 25% of the people here. All right, how many people, if you brought anything into the living room to drink or eat, you would be like punished? Eat. <laughs> okay, about another 25. And the other, it just kind of wasn't necessarily the norm, all right? So you get someone together with, you can eat anything you want in the living room, you get punished if you bring, you know, a bowl of cereal, you put them together into a household, now what happens? Eat in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but there's arguments and there's tension over 
Why are you having that in the living room? Yes. What's the big deal? Well, it's rude. You shouldn't. It's wrong. You shouldn't. So when we talk about rudeness, is it really that easy to define what rudeness is? It's quiet in here. It's quiet, Bueller. Bueller. <laughs> okay, now what about when the kids find a loophole and they lay in the living room and have their bowl in the threshold of the kitchen? They're not yeah. technically in the living room or the kitchen. <laughs> See, my kids aren't that bad, but Liz's son—that's his his thing. Anyway, he like yeah. And well, I mean, he's teaching mine to do that now, and it's <laughs> that's that's scary. That's scary. There's you know, but there's that, a law and the spirit of the law. See, I just laugh. and they understand what the spirit of the law is real quick in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but and that's the whole thing. You can say that's rude, that's disrespectful, that's disobedient, that's okay, and you can respond to that in, in one way, or you can laugh about it, okay, and just, you know, just let it go, yeah. or you can kind of do a midpoint and say, okay, that's funny, I see what you're trying to do, at the same time, yeah. You know, there's guidelines. I mean, so there's there's a, a a scale that you can look at any of these circumstances with. Um, I got into a very very large amount of trouble when we had Italian foreign exchange students stay with us. Um, this group came over. We had two young men, um, young men, right? Yeah. Two guys with us, and um, myself and a few other parents were bringing the whole group together for a field trip and we were at another family's house and we were trying to figure out how much pizza to order all right and these were all teens I says well you know they're teens they eat like you know pigs so we ought to eat a lot all right they heard me say they eat like they pigs. turns that they're teens they eat like pigs <laughs> okay they got highly offended because they heard that term as they're slobs, they're okay. Was there any ill will on my part? I mean, how many times have you guys, you know, it's, it's that's, they meaning they eat a lot of food, okay? Now I'm a lot more sensitive. I don't always follow my sensitivity, to be honest, but I am a lot more sensitive about that. But these people didn't want to, want to stay with us anymore. They got that offended. We do that every single day. How many times have you gotten un unintentionally offended over someone in your home saying something, someone at work saying something, someone at church saying something, yeah. all right? That on the face of it really wasn't, if you wrote it out on a piece of paper and passed it around, you know, nine-tenths of the people would say, you oh, know, that's not really rude, all right, because there was no tone, there was no, you know, whatever, just the words. Right? It's easy yeah. to get offended. It's easy to get rude. You know, I think we shared this before. Gene would say whatever to me as a joke. Like, whatever. 
And that word struck a chord in me in terms of feeling dismissed and disrespected. So I shared that with Gene. I said, I know you don't, in-. and this is the key. When I think about Gene, and when she wakes up in the morning, and when I wake up in the morning, I'm not thinking that, man, she's out to screw me today. Hmm. I better get my defenses up. I don't think that way. And so when she says something or does something that tweaks me, we were talking about this last night, are we looking at the behavior or are we looking at the person behind the behavior? And so I don't focus on the behavior. If something negative comes my way, I'm looking at what's the, what is the need there? Because there's a need that is generally causing that. So what's the need behind the behavior? Because I know Jean's not intentionally being rude. So when she says whatever, for her it was a joke. She was having fun. It was a little bit of sarcasm, the New York attitude coming out. But for me, I felt dismissed and disrespected. So I shared gently with Jean, when you say that word, this is how it causes me to feel. Could you not say that word? And guess what? The use of that word dropped to pretty much zero. And she did tell me, when I use that word, please remind me. Gently. Gently remind me what that does to you so I won't use it because I may it, it may inadvertently slip so given the discussion that we've had about being rude how basically any behavior can be received as being rude how in the round world do we not be rude mindfulness 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 what does that mean Thinking before you talk. Well, and like you were just saying, being knowing what the words that you're using and and the, how the person is going to receive them. Okay. All right. Okay. Thinking before you talk. Okay. Because remember, and and this goes. We talked about the social media, so this goes back to you know that as well, in in America and and how we relate to other countries. Remember when we talked about love at the beginning? There's a type of love that is self-centered, right? How they make us feel. So you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have been in relationships for what you could get out of them? And or get upset in a relationship because you're not getting what you want out of the relationship. Yeah. There are many divorces happening even in the church because I'm just not being fulfilled in this relationship. I'm not getting my needs met. It's a lot about I. So what I'm going to ask you, and you can just think about this, who is your marriage about? Or your relationships, who is it about? Is it about you? Is it about your spouse, where you completely ignore yourself and just serve your spouse and kids? Because if it's either one of those two things, it's out of balance. It's out of balance. Because our marriages should about should be not about the other person and what they can give us or what we can give to the other person. 
our relationships should be about Jesus and what he already gave. Huh? What do you mean by that? What do you think I mean by that? Well, it can mean a few different things. I'm supposed to do the religious thing. Okay. Okay. And quote scripture and do what my um, church doctrine, whichever church or okay. religious doctrine I grew up believing. Okay. Um, and, and follow those because okay. if that's what God says, then I need to. Yeah, that's not it. Because <laughs> religion. Sucks. <laughs> okay. This is about Jesus. And what I mean by that is, what did Jesus do? Jesus wasn't married, so. Yeah, but he was in a lot of relationships. Actually, Jesus was married, and that's the whole point. Yeah. He was married to his church. And we are his church. So, and what did Jesus do for his church? Never conform to cultural norms. Okay, you know he did break some cultural norms. He for what purpose? Purpose. For what purpose? To love others. To love others. To love others. He broke cultural norms to love others. Did Jesus completely? I mean, we know that Jesus gave his life for us, and we are so grateful for that. On a day-to-day basis. Did Jesus ignore his own needs? I mean, there were times that Jesus, what, needed to sleep. He slept on a boat that was in the middle of a storm and was a little disappointed that his disciples woke him up. (laughs) It's like, what are you doing? Do you see it storming out? We're going to die. I was sleeping. I was sleeping. (laughs) Give me a break. He was sleeping during a storm. He would get away to, what, pray? With his father. He said, I'm hungry. He said, Where's food? Where's food? So he really, he didn't ignore his own needs, but he never put his needs above those that he was with. He never said, your needs aren't important. He broke cultural norms to love others. The woman at the well. Okay. And he got his needs disappointed a lot. Yeah. But everything, he didn't meet everyone's needs. He didn't meet everyone's needs. Not everyone was healed. What do you mean not everyone was healed? It talked about them going into towns and cities and not everyone was healed because of their mindsets. Not because of Jesus' unwillingness, not because of the disciples' unwillingness, but because of their mindsets. <coughs> Bless you. Bless you. I forgot the other thing I was going to say. Okay. So fill it in. I don't know what you're going to say either. That's why we talk. We're married for 34 years. You don't know everything about me? No, I don't. And that's a good thing. Because every day is a new adventure. Okay. So if we, if we look at rudeness... Rude behavior is actually the outflow of a selfish heart. That's why these two are combined. That's why we're dealing with these two. Luke 6.45, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. 
for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Hmm. Rudeness is really meaning you don't care about the feelings of others. We can all find ourselves in situations where our actions or our attitudes are considered rude, but in a relationship that is trying to grow and be Christ-like, there needs to be freedom to express how you respond to that rudeness, mm -hmm. all right? Like Ron described with regard to me saying whatever. Hey, wait a second. You know, that word to me is rude. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. It hurts my feelings. And because I want to be more Christ-like in our relationship, I will attempt the best that I can to minimize being rude. We can be rude without knowing it. That's why we went through all the other things and the cultural things. We can be rude without knowing it. All right? I think a lot of times, especially in today's society, and this, this argument about, you know, men should be able to um, uh, control their impulses and women should be able to wear whatever they want. All right? You know, teens should be able to, you know, wear shirts up to here, shorts up to here, and, you know, down to here, and, and, and the guys shouldn't be distracted by that, all right? And both sides have some valid points, all right? And you can argue for both sides. But when you look at it through Christ's eyes, right, the bride of Christ doing what we can to... Um, allow Jesus to wash us and become that unblemished bride, what is our responsibility? Men have their part, boys have their part. Yes, to not, you know, to do the best that they can to not be focused, but also women to do the best that they can to dress in a manner that's not provocative. Both have their points, rather than, it's about me, you gotta change yours. Yeah. You know, like what um, Sarah was saying earlier. Okay. So self-seeking insists on its own ways and seeks things that will please ourselves first and only then others, if at all. So self-seeking is always focused on us first. And we're not concerned about others as much as we are concerned about ourselves. That's just the way it is. And, you know, how do, how do you think this looks in relationships? Because it can be real subtle. So subtle you may not even pick up on it. And it's it's subtle, you know, when I was when I first moved to California, I got a job in Martinez for the Contra Costa Sheriff's Department. After five years there, I applied for a job with the Oakland Police Department. They did a background check. You know, he he called me in and he says, I only have one question for you because your references all panned out, everything looks really good, but I have one question for you. And I said, what's that? And he goes, what's a New York attitude? <laughs> because my coworkers in Martinez in Contra Costa County said I had a New York attitude. What do you think a New York attitude is? Rude. <laughs> Rude. We're upfront, direct. We're very upfront and direct. Yeah, that's, that's my definition of a New York attitude is upfront and direct. Other people may consider that rude. No, no. No, no, I'm, I'm just being upright. I'm just being upright. If you, <laughs> I'm speaking the truth in love. Yeah. 
Who was it? Tom Cruise. You can't handle the truth! Or, uh, you know, Jack Nicholson or whatever. You know, it's, hey, I'm just speaking the truth. If you can't handle it, that's on you. That's not on me. That was taking, that took some getting used to, because there's some people that are from New York or even Chicago. Yeah. And then um, I realized that um, they're kind of actually just not having, um, I had to realize from their perspective, like, they're just being honest sometimes. Yeah. Whereas opposed to, and I realized some of them were annoyed at the way we were in California. Mm-hmm. Kind of beating around the bush. <laughs> if yeah. I approach it this way, it really is a cultural difference. Yeah. In New York, you can have a knockdown, drag out, cursing up and down argument with someone, and 20 minutes later, cake and coffee. Sure, let's go. <laughs> you know, and we're where best in you know in in California. You know, you can have a quiet discussion, never even know that you offended the other person, and all of a sudden, they're out of your life. It's like, uh, what happened? I've called you. <laughs> what did I do? Oh, nothing. I'm just busy. You know, and then you hear from someone else, well, you offended them. How? <laughs> you know? Um, it's a difference in cultures. It's I was born on the wrong side of the United States, but I'm here. No, see, and here's here's the thing, because I, I both leave right. room for improvement. Both leave room for improvement. Both leave because room for improvement. Here's here we've talked about cultural differences, right? See, I think the one thing that we kind of forget is that when we accept Christ as our Savior, guess what? We were just adopted into a new kingdom, a new culture. And if we're not acclimating or changing to meet that culture, one that honors the other person, that when we have an issue, we bring it before the other person in a loving manner, right? So, I mean, both, both sides need help. Both sides need help. You know, I, there's advantages and disadvantages to both sides. And when you're in a relationship, and I don't care if it's a relationship with your boss, your coworker, your kids, your, your, your spouse. I wrote something this week. There's always going to be three sides to something. Your side, my side, and God's side. All right? And the issue is, regardless of what side we're coming from, if we're not handling that from a love perspective, what type of love perspective? Recognizing that the other person is valued, created by God, and sees things from their valid point of view. I mean, we've, we've, we've done this often. Let me see here. All right, guys, what do you see? Proverbs for a couple. Front of the book. What do you guys see? Is Proverbs on there? <laughs> no. Yes. Back to what great Where? Book. Drawing from the book of Proverbs. Okay, can you see that? <laughs> I see a barcode. Okay. You see, well, there's sure, no barcode. So Is there a barcode? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's a price tag. 
right? Both are right. But they're seeing things from their own perspective. And only half the story. And only half the story. And absolutely everything we go through in life. I mean, I can't tell you how many different studies um, that, that they've done, um, crime studies and witness studies and everything else like that. We see things through our own filter. We have to be willing to understand the rest of the picture. We have to. And I don't care if it's take out the garbage or what did the kids do today or what happened at work if we're not willing to stop and look at the whole picture. What's the whole picture? I mean, the, the, the lady at my front desk at the office, okay? Um, someone comes in and sees one short picture, all right? Well, she was rude. She, could, she asked me four times what, what was, you know, what was going on. Why is she even in that position, okay? Okay, did you understand that she just got a cancer diagnosis? My husband comes home. He's one way, what's his problem? All I did was ask this. Did I understand that his boss called him in? Well, you work at home now. You, you and I am my boss. <laughs> so, you yell at yourself. I do, I do. <laughs> all right. Get to work! <laughs> we, we repeat it often, okay? The things that we say here aren't necessarily accurate reflections of what actually goes on. Yeah. Okay, okay, but when we look at the, these in a, in a relationship, and we've talked about a lot of emotional needs in this class a lot, affection and attention and security and all that stuff. Respect. So, respect. So what does selfishness look like? It looks like you're taking or manipulating to get your needs met instead of trusting God to meet your needs. You know, I've shared it before and I'll share it again. There was one guy who called me up. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to, but she's not responding the way I need her to respond. I'm using all the tools you gave me. And I said, do you know what the definition of a tool is? He says, no. I said, a tool is something you use to gain a mechanical advantage over something else. That's the definition of a tool. I said, so basically what you're saying is you're using these not to love your wife. You're using these to mechanically get an advantage over her so she responds the way you want her to respond. And all I heard was, ouch. So yeah, that's what's going on. That's one way selfishness can show up even when we're doing something nice. Okay? Because our expected outcome is for ourselves. Our expected outcome is not to give sacrificially the way that Christ does. Yeah. Another way is sarcasm. Now, we talk a lot about growing up in New York. Sarcasm is a way of life back there. It really is. However, what if you, let's think kingdom culture. Words of life and death. What does sarcasm do? It puts dings in the armor. What is it, water torture? Drip, drip. I, how many, I can do this once to Jean and it won't bother her. Eventually, she's going to blow. Mom, 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 So, what ends up, they're dinks in the armor. Don't do it. Just don't do it. it. 
Gene and I, it, we, we served under, we, we knew this pastoral couple who were great at sarcasm. And after we, and this is after we got back together and we looked at that and we're thinking, we do that. <coughs> Maybe not as bad, but we do that. And we made an agreement that we were going to try and stop. Because it looked bad. It looked bad. It's dishonoring. It really is. At its core, it's dishonoring. So we, we do still, our best. We still, we still fall into it. it. We still but fall it's something into it. that we're trying to, to lessen. Yeah, keeping our mindset. That's a cultural norm. It is a cultural In the United norm. States, anyway. You don't find that outside the United States. But. No. Cultural norm in the United States, we can sit down at dinner and discuss our, our, our income. Mm -hmm. Not too uncommon for people to talk about incomes and stuff like that. Um, cultural norm in France sit down and talk about the intimacies of their sexual encounters, okay? I mean, it, it's a cultural norm. Um, I'm trying to remember a book that I read, it was just really fantastic, that talked about the cultural differences and actually how Jeep made them come back because they changed the headlights to circles versus the square. Um, Jeep was going down the toilet um, financially because they had changed to square headlights and it didn't give the same impression as the round headlights. The round headlights reminded the horsepower and the, the ruggedness and the outdoorness. Subtle differences like that make a big difference. Jackie? Just to say it's a little bit about like, knowing your audience too. Because yeah. um, like with my best friend, how I talk to her and how I know I can talk to her and like in certain situations where she's not, you know, in the right way of thinking or something and I just kind of have to yell at her and smack it. But I also know with other friends that if I was to do that, they would, like, Jenna's like, oh yeah, you're right, like, okay, I got it. Whereas other friends, if I were to do that, they would instantly get offended and get mad. So it's like I have to change the way that I approach things for that audience. It's a valid yeah. point. It, it is knowing, you know, Gene and I would do retreats, uh, serve on pastoral teams for men's retreats and women's retreats. And I had to be mindful that the same jokes that would gather a laugh at a man's retreat, men's retreat, would not gather the same laugh at a women's retreat. And sometimes I miss that subtle distinction. And so. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to read this because this is what a. Um, we didn't get the author, um, but we really like what it said. So with respect to marriage, the idea that love is not self-seeking is a completely foreign concept to many in our society. Sociologists and social psychologists have noted a cultural shift in the last half century regarding the expectations of marriage. Previously, marriage was seen primarily as a social institution to provide for family integrity, stability, security, and contentment. The current predominant view is that marriage exists nearly exclusively for the purpose of companionship to provide for personal happiness and emotional needs. The focus of marriage used to be on advancing family, community, and society. Now the focus seems to be on what an individual can get out of the relationship emotionally, financially, and otherwise. And all too often, when a marriage is not perceived to be fulfilling these functions sufficiently, it is discarded or abandoned in pursuit of another relationship. What do you guys think of those, that?
quote, especially with response to rudeness and self-seeking. Do you think the quote's accurate? It's bad. Sadly, but true. There's been a shift. There's even been a shift away from using the term husband and wife. We're all just partners now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been thinking about that a lot. And it's like, no, <coughs> the words mean something different. And it goes back to building, kind of like, you know, building the empire, kind of more like what I was talking about. You know, it's, it's about the children, the children you're going to have and raise together, the function you're going to fill. It's about the finances, it's about the home, it's about the homestead, and about the relationship the whole package, which is much larger than what we've really shrunk it down to in purpose, which is, oh, it's my partner. Yeah. yeah. It's Part interesting, too, like what you see, how you see marriage um, in other countries and how they view marriage. And, um, for instance, uh, in some cultures, they have arranged marriages, but the love grows later yeah. as you get to know that person. Um, I know when um, Derek and I got married, one of the reasons why I said we need to hurry up and get married, um, I was working for an ethics, um, I, I, I work for a, a company in, in my particular group was working in ethics and just um, end of life and all that kind of stuff. So I said, we need to hurry up and get married because when you're in the hospital, I want to make sure that I'm in the room to be able to make decisions. It seemed less romantic, but that's the only reason why. <laughs> no, I, you know what? When when I got married, we got married. Um, I've been with Ron since I'm 18 years old. We got married when I was 20. Um, I never really. I mean, yes, I lived on my own, but I was in relationship. So even though I was living on my own, I really wasn't my own. And I got married because I was in love with Ron. Why was I in love with Ron? Um, really? Because... I he, had potential. He had potential. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The rest of my boyfriends were pretty... Potentialless. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Well, no, they had the potential of being, you know, the most wanted. Yeah, it depends on what potential. <laughs> okay. In the, in the FBI, hunting the 10 most wanted or one of the 10 most wanted? Okay. So he had the most potential. He gave me stability, um, you know, the potential for stability, something that I didn't have. Now, are any of those truly healthy reasons to get married? No. Very, very self-centered reasons to get married. All right. And it took us... 20, 20 years, years to figure that one out. I'm trying to figure it out. 16 months of separation before we realized, wait a second, marriage isn't about getting our needs met or demanding that our needs be met, but rather communicating in a way that we can mutually give to one another. Right. And even if the other partner doesn't want to participate in that process. Still being Christ-like. It's still being Christ-like in that process. You know, And it's not easy. It's hard. It's a lot of work. You know, and it's the same thing in any relationship. You know, I've got a new boss at work, and, you know, lots of stuff has come up. And I've got a good Christian friend there, and she's like, you know, didn't something like this happen with the last boss, too? So now I've got to think wait a second, is the problem with the bosses 
Truthfully, some of it is the problem with the bosses. All right? My previous boss, I would say 95% of the staff legitimately was in tears at one point or another during this person's tenure. Okay? Mm -hmm. So that's not just an issue with me. Okay? That's a problem with the boss. All right? Um, but I had to do a lot of self-reflection. And I realized this year that I've got some mindsets. If I want to be in a healthy relationship and with my responsibilities at work and that, I got to change some of my mindsets, my expectations, you know? And it's a humbling experience. It's a lot easier to just blame it on the boss and the way that they're coming in and presenting things and everything else like that that just is not appropriate from my perspective. Um, it's like, well, wait a second. I have to do a self-assessment, you know? And it's, it's, it's humbling. It is humbling. I mean, we've shared before, I've shared before about my uh, previous boss at ATF who got brought up on charges of a hostile work environment for like 13 years. And yet, when I tried to blame her, God told me, he says, nope, this is on you. She's just a tool I'm using to reveal the crud that's in your heart. So you have to deal with that. And oftentimes in marriages, because this is, what's the purpose of marriage? We said it before. The purpose of marriage is not just to procreate, not just to build that. I was building to Teddy. I was pointing <laughs> to Teddy. I was pointing to Teddy because Teddy said part of the purpose of marriage is for the family. A little sensitive, are you? <laughs> yes, I am. I apologize for any offense, but I was pointing out at Teddy. But it's not just it's not just for that purpose, okay? Really believe it or not, we've said it before, the main purpose of marriage is to refine us. And and not only refine us, and here's the thing, because we're supposed to be in a covenant relationship. Marriage is supposed to be a covenant relationship, which means this is this is permanent. So not only is it meant to refine us, get this, it's meant to refine the most difficult parts of our character. Because I can be in a relationship with David where we can, you know, iron sharpens iron, but the bottom line is I'm not married to David and I can walk away. <laughs> so if he starts saying something that is hidden too close to home, adios, I'll see you later. I wouldn't do that. But I could do that. Marriage is supposed to be a covenant relationship. If Gene is saying something that hits too close to home, guess what? You are home. I am home. <laughs> I can't just go home. You don't have anywhere to go. I have nowhere to go. And God is counting on my desire to maintain a covenant with him and my wife to allow that to change my character. And when I don't allow it to change my character, guess what I'm being? Self-seeking. Self-seeking. Okay. So what are the solutions? How can we how can we have solutions to being rude and self-seeking? Just stop it? Where well, it's difficult to just stop. It's Matthew 22, 37 through 40. What's the greatest commandment? Includes love your neighbor as yourself. Alright? Now the interesting thing is that as yourself, all right, it's assumed, and scripture assumes that there is a base identity 
of love for yourself, all right? Which goes countercultural to what today is, where people hate themselves, they want to harm themselves, all right? There's an ever-increasing in America um, direct opposition to what God has established, mm -hmm. all right? God, the, the scripture assumes that we, ha we will take care of ourselves, all right? That we will... Uh, Even at the expense of others. <clears throat> I mean, that's what Paul points out. You, will t you generally have more desire for yourself and your own needs and your own wants than you do for others. That's what Paul, Paul's whole theology, that part of that's it. That's what the on. assumption is. That's what the assumption is. Okay, but love your neighbors as yourself, so you're going to go over and above. So for, for those of us that may have a lower self-worth, all right, because I hate myself doesn't mean that I can hate my neighbors or because I feel like I deserve to be punished because of this, it's okay for me to punish. All right, scripture assumes a love and respect for yourself. Yeah, and, and practically, you know, how does this look in a practical format? Really easy. We took, my brother was back east for four months now, and his car was parked in front of our house. Guess what happens to a car that's parked in front of a house parking that ticket. isn't moved? No. no. <laughs> Not a parking ticket. But it gets, it gets dirty, right? It gets filthy. It gets dirty. So what we did is we took Gene's car and my brother's car to a car wash yesterday. And my wife, you know, I got a certain level of car wash for my wife's car, and I got the same level for my brother's car. No, he got the top levels for both cars. I got the top levels for both cars because I like to take care of my wife's car. And I asked, well, why did you get the top level? And I said, because I like to take care. I like your car taken care of because we don't get it washed all that often. This has a 60-day wax as opposed to a 30-day wax. And you did. You asked me, why did you get it for your brother's car? I said, because if I'm going to do it for myself, I'm going to do it for my brother too. And that's the type of, that's loving your neighbor as yourself. It's real simple. Okay, I'm going to give you another example. Um, I was listening to a teaching yesterday, and the guy travels a lot. I mean, he's got to have the platinum, you know, the highest awards on the airlines and stuff like that. But he says, I never, ever pick my seat beforehand. All right, he travels alone. He never, you know, goes in and automatically does the upgrades or anything else like that. He never does that. He just goes and he checks in at the airport and whatever seat he gets. And he says, why do I do that? I'm going to trust that God's going to seat me where I need to sit. All right? Someone's got to sit in that middle seat. Why does it always have to not be me? Why does it always have to not be me? Because I've got privilege. Why does that make me better than someone else? Why do I always not have to be in that middle seat? Why is the middle seat automatically considered the bad seat? Most people do consider it the bad seat, okay? But he's he's got Trust a different me, perspective. Obviously, never been on a plane. Um, I thought you bought a ticket to an assigned seat. Is it not assigned no. seat? You don't have to. <laughs> and not all airlines. So um, when Jean and I travel foreign. Generally, we don't get a seat assignment until we get to the airport. Oh. If you travel domestically, you can get your seat assignment. I can get upgrades and stuff like that. Because he's you, got the privilege. But I you don't. never have to choose your seat. Oh, I did not know that. You, you yeah. I, I'm the nice friend that will drive you to and pick you up, but I will not get out of the car. <laughs> okay. But, I mean, it's a different, it's a different, all right, what about parking spots? 
How many of us drive around looking for the closest parking spot? I don't. Okay. I park further away so the kids can walk. Okay. <laughs> but, and that's part of his whole point. He says, you know, I, I go to churches and preach, and a lot of times they'll give me a reserved spot that are up close. He says, I never take it. I'm able-bodied. I can walk. I'm going to park in the back. Mm -hmm. All right. And I'm going to, well, why'd you park in the back? There's a, give it to someone that needs it. You know, and when you think of a mindset like that, all right, and you think of, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna park to the closest. I'm gonna park to the most convenient. Not to lead guilt or anything else like that, but that's a bit of self-centeredness. Well, I think it also depends. Like, for some people, they have like days where they just don't have that energy, and they need to park close. And and and, and that's then you a have different. The same days where you can walk further, and then so. That's why I said able-bodied. Yeah. That's why I said able-bodied. And this is not meant to you know. do guilt or shame or anything on anybody. It's just that we don't see sometimes the subtleness mm -hmm. for some of our, Sarah, you said it, being mindful. Right. We assume so much in our actions, in our relationships, in our, in our interactions with other individuals. We assume so much that we're not mindful. It's normal to eat in the living room. It's normal to eat in the living room. Well, I mean, come okay. on. My kitchen table's covered in curriculum because I homeschool, and my kitchen is a race. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not. But you see, that that's the whole point. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. It is, and yeah. it functions well in yeah. your family. Okay, but in other families, it's not like right. that. So if I go over to someone's house and I grab a snack, you know, I'm going over for a Bible study, I grab a snack from the kitchen, and I just automatically go and start eating in the living room, they I've now been rude. Yeah. I could have been rude. And Did I not ask first, do you mind if I eat in the living room? And that's the key. The key is, it's not what's right in one home and what's right in another home. It's what, what is the appropriate response when we're looking at it from Christ's perspective. Christ's perspective should be, I always honor others over myself. Here's Philippians, and, and we're probably going to have to close on this because it's getting close. Because of the way this is written, I can replace the word if with since, and I'm going to do that. Therefore, since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, and comfort from His love, and common sharing in His Spirit, and tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. It doesn't say don't value yourself. It says values others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of, an, of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's what we're supposed to have, the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You know, there were, Jesus offended a lot of people. Did he offend them because he was offensive? No. He offended them because he was he, he, they, they, they didn't like what he said. They didn't like what he said or they didn't like what he did. So, 
Any questions, comments, thoughts? I mean, it's really hard because it's so subtle. And I think more than anything else, we wanted to bring it to mind because one of the things that Gene and I have, 34 years, that's a long time. We've been together for 36. One of the things that we've learned is that subtle things can really chink away at the armor and we ignore them until they blow it up. But it's the small things that, that really matter oftentimes the most. If you're taking care of the small things, the big things tend to take care of themselves. You know, are you asking please? Are you saying thank you? Are you appreciating? Are you not being rude? Exactly, so, all right. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus, who is the model that we should be looking after. And Lord, thank you for the culture that we were, uh, that we have been adopted into. So, Lord, help us pursue that culture over everything else and help us to pursue Jesus over everything else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys.